Hello, my friends. Welcome to the FBCC Chapel Podcast. The Bible says in Psalms how God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so, it is our prayer that as you listen, you be refreshed, challenged, and encouraged to be a servant for the Master. And now for today's chapel message. Let's open your Bibles to Luke chapter number 5. We're going to look at a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. <clears throat> you could probably tell this story, uh, maybe not by me just giving the reference, but once we get into it, uh, you can tell what happened here. I'm sure you've heard it, read it many, many times, but I pray God will work in all of our hearts today. I want to speak to you today about letting the Lord have your boat. Thinking about your life being illustrated, my life being illustrated by Simon's boat. And Simon owned that boat. He had a right to do whatever he wanted to do with that boat. But the Lord said, hey, will you let me use your boat? There's some great truth here that has encouraged me again. I've preached this passage a few times in the past. Uh, but in going through it and preparing this message it spoke to me, and I hope it'll speak to you. Notice, beginning in verse number one, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now we know that's the Sea of Galilee. It goes by a couple of different names in the New Testament. But he was on the shore of this very familiar body of water. Verse two. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, whom we know later is Peter, and prayed him or asked him or begged him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down, Jesus, and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had thus done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And, he, and they beckoned with their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished in all that were with him at the draught or the number, the catch of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed you know, young people, you live in a world that is promoting all kinds of philosophy that sounds very good, but that you never find in Scripture. This is not original with me, these, these five points. Uh, somebody else posted them. I wrote them down. I've thought about them a lot. For example, you will never find in the Scripture where Jesus said, just follow your heart. Why? Well, Jeremiah the prophet said, our hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know them? So the Lord never says, follow your heart. He says, follow me. Big difference. The Lord never says in the scripture, be true to yourself. No, he calls us that if we're going to follow after him, we have to deny ourselves and put him first. The Lord never says, believe in yourself. 
He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. I love this one. The Lord never says, live your truth. You want to know why? There's only one truth. It's not your truth and it's not my truth. It is God's truth. And God's truth is that his way is perfect. His plan is best. And we really don't know what's best. That's why we're to follow him and trust him. And the last philosophy that, that was in this article I read that you'll never find in scripture says that as long as you are happy, that's all that matters. That's not what the Lord says. In John 8, 29, we have Jesus, God in the flesh, saying that I do always the things that please him, not the things that please me. Now, you can follow those five wrong philosophies, philosophies of this world, and you may have an okay life. I'm not predicting if you follow them that you're going to wipe out, be a drug addict in a year and have four illegitimate children, girls, and you know, mess up your lives. I'm not saying that, but I am saying you follow that philosophy and you will never see what God can do if you just give him your boat. You know this story. Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee. This is early in his ministry. He, he hadn't even gathered the, the apostles unto himself yet. We read about that in John chapter 1. And the crowds were gathering. And at the beginning, you know, Jesus was quite the social sensation. John 6, there were 20,000 people following in that event. So the crowds were so great that he was being pressed back against the, the shore, the, the water. And he thought, well, you know, this sort of a natural amphitheater. If I could just back up off the shore a little bit in one of these boats, I could preach. Everybody could hear me. I could have eye contact with them all. And the word would be able to be clearly heard. And so he said, hey, can I borrow this boat? And the Bible gives us a backdrop that these guys, these fishermen, have been out in their boats all night long. Now, I don't know if you've ever worked a night shift. I worked 11 to 7 one summer while I was in college. I thought I was going to die. I mean, at, at the, about 4 in the morning, it's like nothing good or godly accomplish, is accomplished at this time of day, you know? God never intended it. Why do you think the sun sets? Because we're supposed to go to bed. So I go to bed at five o'clock every night now, you know, that's when the sunset. No, it's, but you, you understand, I mean, you just feel awful. And they'd been out fishing all night because that was prime fishing time on the Sea of Galilee for whatever uh, species of fish that they were going for to market and sell and take care of their families. And after all night long, and all that exhaustion and all that effort, they had nothing to show for it. Now that would be frustrating. That would be irritating. It'd be, it'd be angering to me. I, I don't mind working, but I like to see things happen because of the work. So the Lord said, hey, can I borrow your boat? And Obviously, Simon Peter relented and the Lord backed up. He preached this message. We have no idea how long he spoke because the tense of the verb is that he continued on in his teaching. Following that, the Lord looked to Simon and said, okay, Simon, thanks for letting me use your boat. Why don't you launch out into the deep? And immediately he had excuses. Lord, we did that all night long. And it's sort of veiled in there, you know, we know this body of water. We fish this body of water. We know where the fish are. And if there were fish to catch last night, we would have caught them. You know, we're very good at giving God excuses as to why we won't do what he wants to do with our boat, with our lives. But he then relented, maybe Maybe because of the message he heard. Maybe because just the presence of the Lord. And, and he identified 
the Lord's position. He said, Master, verse number five, we've toiled on that and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now notice, not, not to make a big deal about this, but the Lord said in verse four, let down your nets. Peter, Simon Peter said, I will let down the net. So now, not only did he make excuses, it was more of a partial obedience in response to the word. Now, that's why I said, I hope you paid attention to the words of the song. Speak, O Lord, let us hear your voice in true obedience and humility. You see, we like to think that we know what's best for us. We know we, we want to be comfortable we want to be safe. We want to be with, with our friends or our family. Uh, we want to dictate our lives. And young people, can I just be very blunt and tell you we are not going to reach the world with that kind of a heart. We're just not. Since I left for college at 17 years of age, I've never lived with my family until I started my own. I had no idea where God was going to send me. I've never had the privilege of living by any family since then. But I, I'm nobody. But I just said, Lord, here's my boat. Whatever you can do with it, you do it. But it was when Simon, in spite of his excuses overran his own thoughts, even in partial obedience, did what the Lord told him to do. Only then did he see what God could do with his life that he would have never seen any other way. The catch, the Bible says, was astonishing. He, he was overwhelmed by it. In fact, he was overwhelmed so much that in verse number eight, he fell down at Jesus' knees, confessing his sin of partial obedience, confessing his sin of doubt and lack of faith, and really not wanting to do what the Lord wanted him to do. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Between verse seven and eight, he didn't go out and get drunk. He didn't go out and get immoral. He's dealing with the context of what was going on here. And let's be honest, all of us struggle with wanting to do what we want to do and stay comfortable rather than doing what God wants us to do and being pushed out of our comfort zone. And so here we have a wonderful story. They bring the fish to land and the Lord then commissioned them and this is their calling and ministry, and the Lord said, Don't fear, from henceforth thou shalt catch fish. So, my question to us this morning is Are we going to let the Lord have our boat? Or, or are we going to continue to be captain of our fate? Are we going to say, Lord, my life is yours? We sing the songs all the time I surrender all, but we generally mean I surrender part. Where a one net will drop it down in partial obedience, not in complete obedience. We'll, we'll do what we have to do because of social pressure. Peter, maybe it launched out just because of the crowd was there. They heard what the, okay, okay, okay. But if he had not launched out, he would have never seen what God can do. So the message is focused on, are you going to let the Lord have your life? Are you going to let him have your boat? Or are you going to stay in control? A couple of things I want you to notice. Number one, if you're going to let the Lord have your life, you will be inconvenienced. You will be. Get used to it. These men, as I said, had fished all night. They wanted to get their equipment clean so it's ready to go for the next night and go home, eat a meal, and get some rest, 
hoping for a better night the next night. They were doing legitimate work. Verse number two, they were washing their nets. They were getting things in order. Maybe some repairs needed to be dealt with. They were trying to finish what they needed to do. So they were ready to go the next day when the Lord interrupted them and said, look, will you delay what you're doing so I can use your boat? And sometimes we, we struggle with that. When we, we get an agenda, we get something in our mind, we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to get married, we want to go there, we want to serve here, and it's on our timetable, and we slide it past the Lord saying, put your stamp of approval there in the corner, would you? When God says, no, this isn't the time. There's some training that needs to go on first. You need to learn some things first. And, and they were extremely tired. I'm not, I'm not taking that away from them. In verse uh, number uh, five, they said, Master, we have toiled all night. And that word toil has the idea of laboring to exhaustion. They were just drained. They were worn out. But if you're going to let the Lord use your boat, then you're going to then you need to understand he will ask you to do things that don't seem logical he he's going to put you in a position where you're going to have to learn to trust him and i think this is a little humorous but this is a carpenter telling a fisherman how to fish <laughs> Wait a second, you're not a fisherman. What right do you have to tell me what to do? You know, uh, talking about the Lord uh, leading us away from logic. I had a full-time job. I worked 48 hours a week. And so when I graduated college, I would, both Mrs. We, were, we got married before our senior year, but we were both debt-free, and I was driving a brand-new vehicle. I've never done that since. It, you know, I've never bought a brand new vehicle since, but then I did. A Ford Granada, what a machine. And uh, so we're ready to go into ministry. We're driving a new car. I mean, I was making payments. I didn't pay cash, but we didn't have college debt hanging over our head because I had the job I had. So we're ready to go. We both graduated. We both had our degrees in education, and we began uh, getting uh, calls from people. Hey, will you come and teach here? Will you come and do that? And, and, you know, as we were going through all of these, there must have been at least 10, 12 different opportunities. Not one of them attracted us. Not one of them was something where God moved our hearts and said, here's a place for you. There are some really weird ones, man. I'm at work one night and a pastor calls and my wife said he sounded very old. And he said, look, you and your husband can come teach for us one year and then I'm going to retire. Your husband can be pastor. She said, you've never even met us in your offering. We're going to become, oh, great. That's wonderful. Well, no, thanks. So we appreciate your interest. We're not interested in you. And we thought we should go. But God closed every one of those doors and let us, you know what? I want you to stay in school another year. Now, after four years of college, which I stretched into five, four and a half, the last thing I wanted to do was go another year. I promise you. I mean, the first year of our marriage, we had one meal a week together. One meal. We would leave our house at 6.30 in the morning and, and I would go to college. She was teaching in the school. I would finish my classes. I would drive then to American Steel Foundries and I'd work there till 11 o'clock and then I'd get home between 11.30 and 12 and I'd say, hi, remember me? We got married last July and I'm dead tired, good night. And I'd die. And resurrect five hours later. I averaged five hours sleep a night all the way through college. Saturdays, we were required to go soul winning for three hours. Often, the first year, we drove an hour to Chicago, worked a bus route, an hour home. So that's five hours. Then I went to work three to 11. The only meal we ate together for the first year was Sunday. 
And every Sunday night after church, and our church services went six to seven was a, like a pre-service thing, and then from seven, and, and we always had long invitations. We never got home before nine o'clock. And every Sunday night, driving from church to our apartment, I would look over and I'd see tears running down my wife's face. Because it's like, okay, I'll see you next Sunday. That's how we lived our first year. And then for God not to open a door to where we could get out and live a normal life, for me to spend another year doing that, that was not appealing. But you know, the truth of the matter is God used that year in a great way and God charted our path to where we ended up in Michigan to where we ended up here at Faithway by delaying us one year. God's will is not always, oh, I see this. This makes sense. You know, you, you need to have the long view and say, what is needed for me to be effective in ministry? What is needed for my spouse or my future spouse, a person that I think I'm supposed to marry, for them to be effective in ministry, does that mean we've got to delay a little bit so that we're trained and we're prepared and we're ready to go? Look, you're going to be inconvenienced if you're going to give the Lord your boat. Maybe you're asking, why on earth do we have to take English? Speech. Canadian history. I don't think I'm going to be standing in the pulpit teaching Canadian history. Why should I give up one afternoon a month and go to a restaurant? I mean, those people aren't going to give a lot of money to the church. They're not going to help our attendance. Why should I every Wednesday night, rather than sitting on comfortable pews, go work with a bunch of kids? I don't even like kids. You see, young people, God has ways to prepare us, to put us under pressure so that we can see his ways are perfect. It's not a comfortable path. It's not an easy path, and it's not a convenient path. And we need to understand that God just says, I want you to trust me. Will you let the Lord have your boat? Secondly, I want you to understand, and I've already alluded to this, it is only when you give control of your boat to the Lord that you'll see what he wants you to see. You see, it was when Simon obeyed the Lord even half-heartedly that God allowed him to see what God could do. He could have stayed on the shore. He could have said, you know what? I've been out on that water all night long. I've listened to the message. It really blessed my heart. And now I want to go home and go to bed. He could have done that. But as long as you stay where it's safe and comfortable and according to your requirements, you'll never see what God wants to do in your life. Now, Peter had already, Simon Peter had already had some interaction with the Lord. In John chapter 1, when the Lord uh, called him to ministry, he changed his name. You're not going to be Cephas any longer. You're going to be Peter. And that's how we know him. The Lord had already interacted with him in chapter 4 of Luke, verses 14 to 16. Uh, he heard the Lord speak, uh, verses 28 uh, and through 30. Uh, he had some interaction with the Lord. He, he had heard him. He had watched him. He'd been around him, and yet he was still a fisherman by trade. Peter had been blessed, but he'd not been changed. He'd enjoyed, but he had not surrendered. You know... A long time ago, I learned that people are very gracious and they say all kinds of nice things. Oh, Pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. I am always tempted to say, and what did God speak to you about specifically? 
You know what would happen? Nobody would come out the door I'm standing by. Because <laughs> most of them are halfway asleep during the message. I watch them. And no wonder chiropractors stay in business. It's church. It was a nice service. What does that mean? You see, young people, when God is speaking, speak, O Lord, let me hear thy voice. Once we hear his voice, it puts an onus of responsibility on us. Number one, if we are going to see what the Lord wants us to see, we must be obedient. If Peter would have said, look, I've been out there all night, you go ahead and take the boat, he would have never seen it. The Lord said, launch out into the deep. Now, nothing mystical about that. He was just saying, launch out into the body of water and do what I tell you to do. But there is sort of an emblematic teaching here that the Lord wants you to get away from the shallows and launch out into the deep. He wants all of us, every single one of us, to move away from the shore where it's comfortable, to, uh, to break the ties, and, and to trust him. Let him lead your life. You know, in marriage, the Bible teaches us that a man and a woman come together and they are to leave father and mother and cleave unto their wife or husband. That word leave is a very graphic term. It means to cut the tie, to launch out, and to establish your own home. It doesn't necessarily mean geographic, but I would recommend that. Because you've got to learn how to grow together, and you've got to learn how to trust the Lord together. Well, in the same way here, the Lord wants us to cut the ties that are keeping us from going where he can show us what he can do, and only he can do. One writer put it this way, faith is the daring of the soul to go farther than it can see. Look, young people, when you tell the Lord, I'll do what you want me to do, don't expect him to show you everything. It's a step at a time. One step at a time. But aren't we to live by faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So faith is the daring of the soul to go farther than it can see. D.L. Moody, whose name you've heard, said, Our faith must be tested God builds no ships but what he sends them to sea. The point of having a boat is that you sail it. The point of God giving you a life is that you let him use it. After a career of fishing the Sea of Galilee, don't you think Peter was a little bit maybe arrogant about the best places to fish, the best time to fish, the best way to fish. And here's this carpenter saying, hey, go out in the water and trust me. You will never know, young person, what God can do with your life unless you absolutely, totally obey. By the way, God doesn't change his mind. If God led you to school, God has a goal there. Finish the course. It's not easy, man. I remember sometimes just struggling. But I'm so glad I finished the course. There, there has to be obedience, but secondly, there has to be surrender. Now, unfortunately, but let's learn from it, Simon only partially surrendered. Net to net. Imagine what would have happened if he would have immediately surrendered all. I have no clue. But if from one net they almost sunk the two ships, what would have happened if he had dropped both nets? Maybe he would have never had to fish again. I don't know. But I want you to notice sort of the evolution of Peter's surrender to the Lord. In verse number five, when the Lord said, launch out your... Uh, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a draught. Simon answering said unto him, 
Master, if you're somebody taking notes, circle that or underline it. Master, we have toiled all night. Excuse. We've taken nothing. We're frustrated. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. The word master is speaking of somebody who has the right to tell you what to do and when to do it. A boss. An authority. But he was recognizing Jesus had authority in his life. But he moved from just authority to verse number eight, as the Lord did what he did to open Simon Peter's eyes, he said in verse number eight, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. The word Lord speaks of owner, possessor, sovereign. It's a title for God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, though. Whether or not you recognize that and whether or not you yield to it, it doesn't change the fact of who he is and his place in our lives. And Peter's attitude changed from one of resistance or hesitant submission to wholehearted surrender. He moved from master, okay, okay, I'll do what you want to, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Partially, oh, ah, yeah, I feel guilty, okay, to whatever I have is yours, my life is yours, I'm surrendered to you. Basically, what Peter was saying in that second statement was, Lord, you own me and you rule. And no longer was he responding with his head, but with his heart. That causes me to ask the question, why? Why? Well, he went out into the deep with some reluctant attitude at first, but when he saw what Jesus could do as he surrendered, it was like, Lord, you can have everything. I'm holding nothing back. One writer put it this way, and I think it's, this is very true. He said, most of our problems are circumstantial and perceptual. Our biggest problems can be traced back to an inadequate understanding of who God really is. We think we can tell God what's best for us. Then he's not God. You're God. He's only God when he has full sway. Only then. The key to change was his understanding whom Jesus really was. And he said at the end of verse 5, sort of reluctantly, nevertheless at thy word, we'll do it. We did it partially. But understand, young people, Hebrews 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why I asked the question. Did you mean what you're saying? Speak, O Lord. Help us to respond in obedience and true humility. One writer said, learning to obey is the first test of true discipleship. Dr. Paul Chappell said, I want the word of God to set the agenda for my life. So what's going to happen if you let the Lord have your boat? Well, number one, you're going to face some inconveniences. But number two, that's the only way you'll see what God can do. But then thirdly and lastly, in that obedience, you see the Lord use you. Now you're involved. Now it becomes very, very personal. Because when we respond to the Lord, understanding he is the Lord and he has every right and we give everything to him, now we see what he can do in using our life for his glory. But what does that require? Well, first of all, it requires a spirit of humility. The Bible says in verse number eight, Peter fell down on his knees at Jesus' feet. In other words, you have to get over yourself. You're not as good as you think you are. 
You're not as well-trained as you think you are. You're not as accomplished as you think you are in any area. You're not as talented. You're not as important. You want to know something, young people? I learned a long time ago, God doesn't need me. He wants me to serve him. But if I were to drop over dead tomorrow, which I'm not planning, I'm planning to fly to Winnipeg, but if I were to drop over dead tomorrow, you want to know something I do know? Faithway will keep going on. God has somebody to stand in this place. God doesn't need me. But he wants me to be surrendered to him and humble and allow him to work in my life for whatever good he's trying to accomplish. You see, true servants of God are never impressed with themselves or what they do. They're just thankful for the privilege to serve. Warren Wearsby said about this passage, Peter was humbled not by his night of failure, but by his astounding success. That's a mark of real character. If success humbles you, then failure will build you up. So if you want to see the Lord do what only he can do in your life, number one, you have to humble yourself. Go to his knees. Number two, you have to trust the Lord. Completely. What did Jesus say to him and, and, and the others that were there with him in verse number 10? He said, fear not. You want to know why some people bail on the Lord? It's because they're afraid they're going to fail. They're afraid when the pressure's put on, they won't be able to do it. They're afraid they won't be able to match up. They're afraid they won't be able to finish the task. But the Bible says God had not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. So what kind of fears are you struggling with? Well, what about my future? After four years, then what? How on earth am I going to pay my bill? Will I really be happy if I trust the Lord of my future, my spouse, my vocation, my service? Will I really find happiness? I will tell you this, young people. You will never find true happiness unless you're where the Lord wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do with the person he wants you to do it with. Satan has two great tools he uses all the time. Discouragement and fear. We are discouraged when we look at ourselves rather than the Lord. And we're fearful when we trust ourselves and not the Lord. If we want to see God do something, we have to humble ourselves before him. But what does the Bible say? When we humble ourselves, he'll lift us up. We have to trust him, not fear. Number three, notice verse number 11. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all. You have to leave some things behind. Not 50%, not 75%, but all. Now, I don't know what it means for you. I know what it meant for me. It may be friends that are not helping you, but rather are getting you to look at yourself and look the wrong way. It may be some family. I don't know. It may include your own goals and aspirations. But it takes surrender. Recently, I, I can't remember now if somebody used it as an illustration preaching here or in something I read, when they referenced the life of William Borden. If you don't know, he was an heir, to, he was vastly wealthy. He graduated high school, not a bad present. His parents gave him a round-the-world cruise that lasted three, four, five months, something like that. I've never been on a cruise for two days. Some things are just not right. But he was a very spiritual young man. And he went to divinity school. And in that time, he surrendered and gave up the family fortune to go reach Muslims for Christ. 
He goes to Egypt to learn the language while there he contracts a disease and he dies at age 29. And you say, what a waste. Well, I don't know. How many people have been stirred by the life and testimony of William Borden? You can go Cairo, Egypt, I'm told. I'd love to do it one day. I mean, a little out of the way nondescript cemetery with you know no grass growing there you can find a headstone but three things he wrote as he made this journey of surrender to the lord he wrote no reserves gave up the fortune i have no i'm not i'm not going to keep a little money there just just in case no, I'm totally casting myself on God. No reserves. Then later on he wrote, no retreat. When people tried to talk him out of it, look, this is dumb. You could fund a hundred missionaries, do that, stay back, enjoy life. No retreat. And just before he died, he wrote the last one, no regret. I'm afraid I've met many people through life who had the opportunity you have. But they charted their own path rather than God's path. They directed as captain of their ship rather than Lord. And you can just tell by talking to them their life is filled with regret. Filled with regret. Luke 14, 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, Jesus said, he cannot be my disciple. So you've got to humble yourself. You've got to trust the Lord. Sometimes there are some relationships you have to cut off. You have to forsake all. And lastly, you have to follow they forsook all and followed him. In many ways, following takes the pressure off. All you have to do is pay attention to the one you're following. You don't have to chart out the route. You don't have to plan the stops. You don't have to determine the direction. You don't have to fight through. All you have to do is follow. And the Lord says, Follow me. Turn forward to Luke chapter 9. And look at verse 23. My Bible says this is the test of discipleship. And he said unto them, if any man will come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Look down at the end of Luke chapter 9. Schofield says it's another test of discipleship. Verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Boy, that sounds great. Verse 58. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. I.e., you still want to follow? Are, are you sure about that? Verse 59, and he said to another, Follow me. But this second person said, But he said, Lord, suffer me or allow me first to go and bury my father. I'll follow you, just not yet. Give me a little time. There's some things I need to do first. Verse 60, Jesus saith unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61, the third guy and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. I've got these relationships and I really am not ready to say goodbye yet. And Jesus said unto him, no man, having put his hand to the plow, is fit, uh, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. 
Look, young people, if you're going to follow the Lord, you've got to make some hard choices. You can't do what mommy and daddy want you to do because the Lord is the Lord. He owns you. You can't do what your friends want you to do because they can lead you astray. You can't do what you want to do because the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. If you really want to know the joy of the Lord and a lifetime of service and seeing him use your life in ways you can't even imagine and you'll never see until you surrender all to him, you have to just follow him today, tomorrow, and every day. And the wonderful thing about Simon Peter's testimony, though he had his issues, is he spent the next three years of his life following Jesus. Not perfectly, but he followed him. Yes, he was impetuous. Yes, he stuck his foot in his mouth. Yes, at times, bold to a fault, cutting off the servant of the high priest's ear. But we know after those three years... Peter went fishing again. Turn to John chapter 21. Between what we read in Luke 5 and now John 21, Jesus has had his three years of ministry. Jesus has laid down his life on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again. He's had those appearances that are included in scripture and now we see Peter and six others go fishing again. Verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. It's the Sea of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, same body of water. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we go also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Oh, he wasn't a very good fisherman. He seems to have some nights of no catching fish. When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. It could be the distance, could be the mist on the water. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. Boy, it's starting to sound familiar. We've had somebody say this before. They cast therefore and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John the Beloved, saith unto Peter, Hey, Pete, old buddy, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He girded his fisher coat on him, for he was naked, meaning he didn't have his outer garments on, did cast himself into the sea because he couldn't wait to be back at the feet of Jesus. Look, young person, you are called in scripture one of God's flock. You're one of his lambs. You're one of his sheep, right? John chapter 10. He's a good shepherd. Don't miss what Jesus said in that wonderful passage in verse 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they Follow me. So you're going to follow yourself, your peers, your culture, follow your heart, live your truth, or are you going to follow Jesus every day? It's not always convenient, not always easy but only in absolute, complete surrender will you see him do in your life and through your life what he's able to do. Bow your heads and close your eyes.
song we used to sing, we sing it sometimes, follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I will follow on. Based on where you are right now in your Christian life, can you honestly sing that? Anywhere, everywhere, I will follow. It's a wonderful thing, young people, to get to the end of your ministry days where I am approaching and be able to say, I believe I am exactly where the Lord wants me to be. And I see him do things I never could have ever imagined in my life and through my life. But you only get there by following now and giving Jesus full control of your boat. Lord, I pray that you'd work in every heart. We are prone to wander. We are prone to do our own thing. And we can justify it. We can explain it away. We can, we can satisfy our own thought process. And of course, this is, this is good. This is right. But if we are really honest, deep in the recesses of our soul, we know we were the one captaining our boat. We were the one directing our path. We were the one determining our way. Lord, I pray that you'd work in the heart of every young person here. I work in the hearts of our staff, work in my heart, that we would humble ourselves before you and realize we're nothing apart from you. That we would trust you completely where you guide, you provide. That we would cut off those relationships that can draw us off the path. And we will follow you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would use this message in our hearts. It'd be one of those stakes that we drive deep into the soil of our heart that helps us to stay anchored when things get tough when we don't understand, when things become inconvenient, that we would just trust you. So work in these few moments, we pray. For it's your name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for joining us on today's Chapel Podcast. We hope it was an encouragement and a help to you. If you have any questions or are interested in knowing more about our college, feel free to contact us through our website, fbccanada.org or on any of our social media platforms. And as always, may Christ be lifted up, God be glorified, and servants be trained for the Master's plan. Thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful day.